my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Amy Duffy. She's the number one best-selling author of Normal Doesn't Have Side Effects. She's an award-winning speaker, having spoken at the Harvard Club of Boston, CNN Center, NASDAQ, the New York City Bar Association, and the Philadelphia College of Physicians. Dr. Duffy has shared the stage with Martha Stewart, Suzanne Summers, Ice-T, and Dr. Oz. She is a frequent podcast guest and expert guest on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox Network TV shows. Dr. Duffy is the founder and medical director of Carolina Integrative Medicine in Clemson, South Carolina. I am going to have her uh, website links in the show notes so that um, after listening, I'm sure you're going to want to dig in a little bit deeper, uh, find out more about her and uh, also find out where to get her book. So be able to do that on her website, amyduffymd.com or carolinaintegrativemedicine.com. Thank you very much, Dr. Amy, for joining me today and allowing this conversation to happen. I I really appreciate it. I know we're gonna dig into some really cool stuff. I I had the privilege of hearing you speak at the uh, College of Physicians in Philadelphia and um, just, Really awesome getting to hear you speak and getting to hear the other speakers and hear from Dr. Oz and uh, just what an awesome event. So really, thank you very much for for coming on and and having this conversation with me. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. I always like to start off where it all began, which is where you were born and raised and, and what did your parents do? That's a busy story. I was born in Chicago, Illinois. And then um, actually when I was five years old, I skipped kindergarten and uh, my parents got divorced. So I ended up in three different schools in first grade. So I went from Chicago to Washington state where my grandma uh, or my grandparents lived. And my mom and I lived in the basement there for several months. And then we ended up settling in Denver, Colorado and ultimately lived in Boulder. So I would say most of my childhood from second grade through college or high school graduation was in Boulder, Colorado. So grew up there. Um, Busy, busy, played lots of sports. Softball kind of became my thing and then um, ended up going to Texas Lutheran University in Seguin, Texas, just outside of San Antonio, playing softball there. And um, what was the second way? Oh, my parents, my mom, originally was a teacher and then um, struggled a little bit, single parent. I remember her being a janitor at a church and I used to go help her clean at at nighttime before uh, Saturday church or something like that. And then she ended up going back to school and she got her 
software engineering degree. And so ended up with a great career in computers. It was a great time back then in the 90s for her to get involved in computers. So she is now retired and loving being a grandma of my four uh, girls that I have. So life's crazy, but happy. And we get to see her a lot. She still lives in Boulder. <clears throat> I live in South Carolina, but she comes frequently to hang out with us. She's got her own little room in my house. So um, <clears throat> my dad was a Lutheran minister and missionary. So I spent my second birthday in Brussels, Belgium, but I don't remember it. I see, I, I know what the pictures look like. I was this little blonde, white haired, fluffy headed little girl in, you know, amongst, you know, African little boys. So it was kind of a funny picture, but that's, that's my memory. So my dad traveled a lot um, and he settled down in Houston, Texas um, and was a Lutheran pastor there. So I have some great memories of getting to um, fly on DC-10 jets as an unaccompanied minor. And when I was little, getting to go visit him for holidays. And he lived in Chicago still for a long time. And uh, so Chicago Cubs is, is one of my great memories. Like I remember flying, flying on a DC jet plane. There was about three or four other unaccompanied minors. And once the plane was up in the air, they, they came and got all of us and they brought us up into the front where I, I just remember a big bar. Like, I don't even know if there's planes like this anymore, but there was like a bar area and there were four seats kind of facing each other, very fancy kind of first class. We got to have Cokes and, you know, hang out up at this, up at the front part of the plane. And so it was very, very special occasion. So I have great memories of flying to visit my dad and that was back when um, the Cubs didn't have, Wrigley Field didn't have lights, so they would play double header. So my dad and I would just walk. I think he was maybe like 10 or 12 blocks uh, where his house was to where Wrigley Field was. So we used to walk down and just watch um, watch the Cubbies play, Mark Grace, number, number 17. So I've been number 17 for a long time in my softball career and listening to Harry Carey and all kinds of good stuff there. So We'd, we'd watch the double headers and then he'd say, you want to come back again tomorrow? And we'd walk down to the ticket booth and buy our tickets for tomorrow and do it all over again. So I spent many summers in Chicago when I was little. So some good memories there. Um, that's kind of me and where I grew up and ended up in Texas for, for college. And then my dad was in Houston at the time and Texas has 10 medical schools as opposed to Colorado's one. So I became a Texas resident so I could apply to medical school. And I ended up at the University of Texas in San Antonio, Texas. So that's where, where it all started. Who influenced you and in, in that trajectory? Why, why medicine? Um, I absolutely loved babies when I was little. I was very, if there was a baby somewhere, I wanted to hold that baby, squeeze that baby's cheeks. I had, I don't know if you remember Cabbage Patch Kids, but I had all the Cabbage Patch Kids, the bald ones, and had all the accessories and everything. So I just loved babies. And when I was about 11, we were at a pancake breakfast in our neighborhood. And there was this, you know, looked like the Michelin baby sitting in the sand and so I, was, I just went over there and I started playing with him and his mom was there we started chatting and she said he loves you you love him like why don't you come babysit and I said well I'm only 11 I don't know if I'm allowed to babysit yet and she said well just come over and start hanging out and you can play with him while I'm trying to get some stuff done around the house so that was my first job and 
I grew up with that family basically from 11, you know, through high school and her sister was um, having babies at the same time. So I, I got connected with the whole family and her sister Deirdre was due to have baby number two when I was 17 years old and they invited me to be in the delivery room with them. So this was Thanksgiving night, my senior year of high school. I got the phone call about nine o'clock. It was time to go to the hospital. So I'm rushing over there. I have no idea what to expect. I've never been involved with this before. I don't even remember watching deliveries on TV or anything like that. So I didn't really know what to expect, but it took all night long. And baby Joshua was, was born early that morning. And I just remember when he was put on mom's chest and I was standing kind of over the side of the bed, looking down. I wasn't in the business end of things. I was up at the top and, and I just remember sitting there going, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen in my life. And I want to do this. I want to be a doctor. And so I did it. I went to college. I went to medical school residency. I picked a residency that was specific to, um, delivering lots of babies. And in that time frame, I have delivered over a thousand babies in my career, including having four of my own, one of which I delivered myself. So we can talk about that story. That's fun. Um, so that was really my inspiration. I would say is I, I wanted to deliver babies and here I am now. I transitioned my practice. Um, so I delivered lots of babies and a couple things happened. I had babies of my own. So being on call all the time, you know, babies don't show up at, you know, 2 PM on a Tuesday on your schedule. So when you have lots of babies at home and a business you're trying to run, it, it got kind of exhausting and tiring to be on call all the time. So I made a hard decision to close that chapter and move into uh, this functional or integrative medicine. So I think they're somewhat related. You know, I, I, I loved delivering babies because it was fun medicine. They wanted to come to the, you know, they wanted to be in the office and they wanted to be at the hospital. And, and you know, we weren't delivering bad news. We were having fun times and, and you know, bringing life into the world was awesome. And in that field, when you're not delivering babies, you're doing GYN or lots of women's health. And there was tons of conversations about hormones for women. And I wasn't that wasn't really part of my training. So I had to really kind of go out and get more training on my own. And, and during that time, there's something called the women's health initiative, where um, there was a lot of scary conversations about hormone replacement and the negative uh, aspects and women were dying. You know, they they, they ended this seven year study early because they saw such an increased risk of breast cancers and heart attacks and stroke in women in one of the arms of this study. So there was a lot of conversation about it. Should we be on hormones? Should we not be on hormones? And it was very unsettling for both patients and myself as a practitioner. You know, I, I took an oath back in medical school that I was going to do no harm. And here we are, you know, with these medications we know are causing harm. And I just really was unsettled with that. And I thought there's got to be another way to do this because these women were suffering, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a good quality of life. They were um, Suzanne Summers calls it the seven dwarves of menopause. And she says, uh, itchy, bitchy, bloated, you know, not sleeping well. I can't remember all of them. I'm sorry. I wasn't in my brain today, but anyway, it's just kind of funny. You know, women are just kind of unhappy and this, they don't want to settle for anything. And, and, but yet at the same time, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place of having to, you know, decide, do I want to take this medication that could potentially cause me harm, um, or, you know, have a better quality of life. And 
So I started doing a lot more research and happened upon bioidentical hormones or natural hormone balancing and finding, I would say it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland goes through that tiny little hole into this like rainforest of beauty and, and this world out here that I had no idea existed where you could find out what the, what the underlying causes, which is what functional medicine is all about. So in hormones, it's testing. What's the, what's the imbalance going on? What is that person dealing with? And not just checking off a list of symptoms and saying, oh, take this pill and see if it helps. It's actually looking at why do you have the symptoms that you have? And then when we replace those hormones, we're using bioidentical natural hormones in the same chemical structure that that should be in your body and just getting you back to what normal level should be, which is kind of the inspiration from my book. Normal doesn't have side effects, right? If we're just getting you back to normal using normal things that are in your body in the first place and, and getting it to levels that are going to make you optimal, then we're not having to worry about all the side effects that come with traditional medication. So that's really, you know, the inspiration for transitioning my practice is, is bringing life into the world. And now I get to restore life to those who felt like it was lost. And that hormone process sort of expanded. Once you start doing that in one aspect of medicine, it's like, well, surely this, there's got to be another way to do other things. So it goes into gut health and heart health and brain health. And, and it just expands from there. There's so much to learn. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm like a sponge. There's all kinds of stuff out there and it's, it's fabulous. I'm really curious about the hormone replacement therapy and really I, I have a daughter that's, that's 15 and we haven't had the discussion yet. Um, but when she gets older, I'm sure, I, I mean, I probably won't have the conversation with her, but uh, the whole birth control conversation will probably be had with her mother, but yeah, uh, I would like to be informed. Well, I think there's kind of, you know, there's going to be a spectrum, of course, over the course of, of life, whether we're talking about males or females, really, but you're, you're asking about your daughter. So um, the type of hormone therapy that I got involved in was, was more, you know, changes as women are getting older, you know, in their late forties and the fifties menopause on average is, you know, women in their fifties. So um, as their hormones start going away and they start having some symptoms and we can get into that, the importance of, of maintaining some hormones because they really are beneficial. We're not just dealing with the symptoms, but we're dealing with some uh, prevention things as well. Heart health, brain health, breast health, even there's a lot of scare about hormones and breast cancer, but if you're doing it the right way, it actually can reduce your risk of breast cancer as opposed to increase. And of course, anti-aging, it makes your, your hair stay in. I mean, how many, older women do you see that are frustrated because their hair is thinning, right? The first thing I think of is hormones. And, and really it, it helps you age more gracefully. Um, you look at Suzanne Summers, who's like in her seventies and she looks like she's about 40, right? She's, she's fabulous. So anyway, that's kind of, you know, where, where my start with hormone therapy began is, is more in the later part of life. For what you're describing in, in younger women, thinking about contraceptive methods, things like that, um, there really isn't bioidentical hormones to prevent pregnancy because that's not a natural occurring thing, right? I mean, we kind of created these uh, birth control pills as synthetics, as fake hormones to 
um, to interrupt the normal cycle. So what, what birth control pills do basically is keep your body in, in normal menstrual cycles, women, you know, are going to fluctuate and they, they have hormone changes that make them ovulate. And then if, if their, their progesterone level should start to go up, if they get pregnant, it would go way up. If they're not pregnant, progesterone drops, and then they have their cycle. We're getting really technical here, but what birth control pills do basically is, is kind of suppress the natural hormones and keep it at a steady state all the time. So there's no ovulating happening. So that prevents contraception because there's no egg coming in. Um, but yet they can still cycle it enough to allow women to have cycles if they want. But um, sometimes in, in the medical world, we're using hormones um, in young girls who are having really difficult periods or something like that. So it's not uncommon for them to go on birth control just because their cycles are, are becoming dysfunctional. They're missing school or, or work or things like that. Um, but again, in the functional world, you can kind of dig a little bit deeper. Where is that coming from? Um, there's a lot of studies about diet and gut health and, and, um, you know, mental health and, and all kinds of stuff, stress and, and managing stress that can help to support cycles a little bit. So we don't have to use synthetic medications to control periods basically. But in terms of contraception, um, you know, there is the birth control, which is kind of the gold standard with using some, some form of birth control in, in the form of synthetic hormones. And then of course there's barrier methods and all kinds of stuff. And, and when we're talking about young kids and teenagers, particularly up to the age of about 26 or 28, they're at really, really high risk for um, STIs or sexually transmitted infections. So we're really focused on that barrier method for them, not just you know from, from contraception, but from just keeping their bodies safe. So um, it really needs to be an individualized conversation. There are some people that are just anti-hormones all the time and some that are like, you know, in that, in that part of life, um, you know, maybe for a few years, five years, something like that, can we be on those synthetic hormones just to, you know, make sure we're not, we're not getting pregnant during the time. And, and this is a whole new conversation. I mean, it can be, where are you with your, your family and your child? And, you know, do we need to talk about abstinence versus barrier methods versus, you know, other things. So it, it can really go on and on. It's hard to kind of broaden that, that topic, but that's the basics there. One of the things that you said about all the health risks and, and different um, health issues that women were, were experiencing <clears throat> due to hormone replacement or uh, yeah. not properly using hormones, what were some of those health issues? And was there any connection to birth control? It's interesting that the studies were done with um, a medication called Premarin and Prempro. And those medications were specifically designed for hormone replacement in menopausal women. And Premarin is actually, uh, comes from pregnant mare's urine. So it's actually made from horse urine um, and designed to sort of be uh, replacing estrogen in women. And then the Prem Pro added a progestin, which is a synthetic progesterone. So women have a bioidentical estrogen, bioidentical progesterone, and then they made these synthetics trying to, again, mimic um, and hit the receptor sites for these hormones in, in the women's bodies. 
Birth control pills are a little bit different. They are still synthetic hormones, estrogen, different types of progestins, which is still that synthetic hormone. So it's hitting receptor sites. But I think what's um, frustrating and what, what I see in functional medicine when we really start digging a little bit deeper is that particularly taking hormones by mouth you know, uh, there was a great mentor that I had that, that when I first started learning about bioidentical hormones, he's a funny guy and he'd get up and he'd say, you know, we were not biologically designed to eat other mammals gonads. So why would we be putting these hormones in our body, right? Like why would be eating, eating these hormones? So physiologically what happens when you, when you take a pill, right, it's going to go through your gut and your stomach and it has to go through your liver first. And then your liver has to go, what is this thing? And, you know, is this something that's going to cause us danger and I need to filter it out and put a, put a bubble around it and protect us? Or is it something that, you know, is going to be okay? And so, um, when you put estrogen, particularly other hormones as well, um, in a pill and you swallow it, when it goes to your liver, it converts to things that are not necessarily good guys. Um, and so that's really where the concern comes from is not the hormone itself. And that's the problem is that there's no way to really test that you can test the hormone, but there's so many different metabolites out there. And there are some labs in functional medicine, um, that, that actually like test urine metabolites of all these different hormones. So you can see, you know, is there an increased risk? So what's happening is there's these metabolites of the hormones that are the, that are the bad guys. And those are hitting, you know, breast cells and, um, and like ovary cells, endometrial cells in the uterus, that sort of stuff. So one of the biggest concerns in the hormone replacement world is breast cancer, um, some form of endometrial cancer. And then there was also strokes. And so one, another place where estrogen metabolites hit and cause inflammation is in the lining of your vessels and causing more plaque and causing blood clotting dysfunction and disruption and things like that. And I, you know, that's a lot of physiology to go into, but blood clotting and strokes was a big risk in, in this study, um, the women's health initiative. So what's a little bit frustrating is that you know, the women's health initiative was a huge study. I mean, I don't, I don't even remember the number of women, but it was like hundreds of thousands of women, but it was funded by this women's health initiative, this huge, you know, foundation. And most medical studies um, are funded by the big pharmaceutical companies, right? That, you know, studies take a lot of time and a lot of money to do. And nobody's really doing studies on birth control to decide whether they are, you know, causing harm or not. So we don't really have great data. We have the idea that could this cause some dysfunction or not, but there's not really any study that could definitively say um, there is a correlation between birth control use and negative effects, um, or the, you know, these effects I was talking about with, with the hormones in the menopausal women. Um, so that's, you know, again, sort of the same conversation is like, do we use it over a short period of time? And, and one of the things that I love to talk about in, in our whole, you know, functional medicine world is, is we got to get off this like blinders. We're talking just about, you know, birth control and contraception in young women, but, if your liver is in a good place and it can handle these things appropriately, then you're going to be in a safer, you know, 
position to take these medications. So, you, you know, if you're going to make a choice, okay, I need to be on, on birth control for this period of my life because I don't, you know, I don't want to have babies when I'm 18 or 20 or 22 or whatever, you know, we can, we can get on with our careers and go to college and do cool stuff before we're ready to have babies. So if I'm going to make that choice, then let me make sure that I'm doing all the other things that are going to benefit my body so that I don't have that risk. Right. So you can, you can do a yearly or even, you know, every six month detox to kind of get your liver cleaning. You can make sure they're eating really good, clean food. We're not being exposed to other um, chemicals as much as we can in the environment. So you start looking at your, at your home environment, your household cleaners, um, you know, the food that you're putting into your body, our, our world is full of processed foods and chemicals, right? And so, you know, if you can be more conscious about minimizing those chemicals, then, then your liver is going to be in a better place to be able to withstand that and have some reserve there. So, you know, that's where we start getting deeper and you're not going to have that conversation in a traditional medical office where they have seven minutes to say, Oh, you know, here's, you know, we'll check your blood pressure. Here's your refill on your pill. Any problems? Nope. Okay. We'll see you next year kind of thing. And really be able to have that conversation about what's going on in that bigger picture. One of the things that I, I really wanted to hit on was the inflammation um, yeah. aspect of our health and it seems like, you know, I'm no doctor, but it seems like inflammation causes so many diseases and, yes. and illnesses and, and complications. And inflammation be, can be caused by so many different things. Some of them being hormones that are, are stress hormones that right. are released. Right. And, how how do you work with your patients to overcome the the inflammation that's really so commonplace in our society yeah i mean it's become it's definitely becoming a big talk and and it really is something that is um, detrimental. And, and, you know, you got to go backwards a little bit and think about what's going on. You know, our, our bodies are smart. They're, you know, their, their first job is survival, right? And, and so it's going to, it's going to do things that it needs to do to protect us. And if you, you know, let's say you're in just a normal state, everything's fine. And you get an infection of some sort, right? You're going to have all these inflammatory processes going through, maybe you're back in the caveman days and you ate something and, and, you know, so your body responds to that. You might get a fever, you might get, um, you know, bowel changes or something like that. You know, all this gunk that we get in, in sinuses is all inflammatory stuff that your body is working towards fighting whatever that threat might be. So it's a good thing. And then maybe you're running and you sprain your ankle and it, and it, it's inflamed because there's a lot of, um, chemical, what we call cytokines, inflammatory cytokines, but chemicals that go to that space to say, Hey, we've got to send all the healing juju, you know, down to that ankle so that it can heal quickly because otherwise we're not going to be able to run from the tiger. Right. So it's all about survival. And what's happening in this world is that 
we're not just wandering around in a normal state and then sprain our ankle or, or everything's great. And then we eat something and, and we're being bombarded with all of this threat all the time. I'm going to go back to the chemical thing, right? You know, the food that we're eating is, is just full of chemicals. And I always talk to my patients about, you know, they say, well, what, what kind of diet should I be eating? And I'm like, you know, we really do talk about going back to that caveman state and saying, you know, how many steps does it take for you to go grab an apple and eat it? You know, it's one step, right? Or, or get some nuts or something like that. Maybe it's two steps to take the shell off. But when you start getting into things like eating bread, we don't walk out and go pick the, pick the weed out of the field and start chewing on it, right? That wheat has to be processed. It has to be dried. Now it's flour. Well, we're still not even taking spoonfuls of flour and eating that. It's got to have another process and multiple things added to it to make something that, you know, like bread or a bagel or something like that. So the number of steps from where that came from to where it's going into our mouth adds extra things that are going to be inflammatory to our body. So food is really a, a huge foundation in addressing our gut health. Um, so inflammation in, in the functional medicine world, really the first place to look is, is the gut and what we're being exposed to. And then we've got this environment, especially with our pandemic in the last couple of years, but really it's been that way for a long time that, you know, everybody's got hand sanitizer everywhere, right? Is this antibacterial hand sanitizer and soaps and we're, we're, you know, drinking chlorine in our water. So we're basically, you know, bleaching out our gut. And so we don't have those good protective bacteria that, that are designed to kind of be that initial um, barrier that prevents some of these toxins and things from really getting getting to our cells where, where they're going to react. So there's a lot of different things going on there, but really addressing the gut. And so um, I think there's two parts to that question. One is I love objective information. So testing is one of the, the, the most valuable things and looking at measures of inflammation. So somebody may feel like they're inflamed, but let's actually get a number. You know, what is, what is your number? So one of the tests that we can measure is something called CRP or C-reactive protein. Um, and it should be less than two in most cases. And some people we can see it, you know, really high if there's, if there's some serious stuff going on, but some people may be in just the, you know, sort of a, a seven, eight, nine range that doesn't look really scary, but, but there's low level inflammation there and it's causing damage. So knowing what your number is so that you have a goal and it's a little bit more motivating, you know, it's not just how I feel, but I can see a number on a piece of paper and go, Oh, that doesn't look very good. Um, and, and then having this conversation. So we understand what inflammation does, but that's a really nice objective test. And then another test that I really like to do is food sensitivity testing. So knowing what foods may be irritating your body rather than saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to Google what, what foods are inflammatory. Very commonly, you're going to see gluten, dairy, um, eggs, soy. Those are kind of the most common ones. We might get into nightshades and nuts and, you know, you can go on and on. And that's what gets overwhelming for people. I think is that there's so much information out there. It's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Do I follow this list or do I follow that list? And what, what my patients love more than anything is this test that just gives them their list. You know, right now what's going on in your body, this is what your body's reacting to. So let's start eliminating those threats to minimize some of that inflammatory response. And then we can come in from the other side and start building that barrier back again, throwing in um, supplements that can help to reduce inflammation, to build those, the lining of the gut back up, get some good probiotics in there. 
and really start to connect so we can we can get to the core source of where that inflammation is coming from. And I think that's the downfall of, of what's happening in traditional medicine is again, they're kind of they're kind of blindsided. Oh, you have inflammation, let's, you know, let's address the end result as opposed to, you know, going to the source of where it's coming from in the first place. The connection to inflammation and autoimmune disorders. <clears throat> So that's, that's very similar. So what happens is um, there's a couple different analogies, but one analogy I like to use, I, I don't really, I have girls, so we don't play a lot of video games, but, you know, I remember going to something like Dave and Buster's, you know, and you have one of those, um, those games where you, where you've got a rifle, you've got a gun and you've got this big screen and you're supposed to be shooting the bad guys and not shooting the good guys. Right. So you got this, you know, red guy that pops up and you got to shoot them. But the, when the white guy pops up, you're supposed to avoid it. And when you're in this state of sort of excitement, you know, there's lots of lights going around, it's busy, whatever, and it doesn't really matter. Um, but you end up, what do you do? You know, you just end up kind of shooting everything that comes at you. Right. You don't, unless you're really good sniper or something like that from the military, not me right? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just out there trying to play this game. So you end up, you know, shooting at everything. And I like that analogy because that's kind of what your body's doing is it starts to get exposed to, um, to bacteria or to these chemicals and that barrier starts to get dissolved. So you don't have the front line there. You don't have the second line there. So now, you know, your, your protective layer is starting to get exposed to all these things. And it, it has a hard time recognizing whether that's a good guy or a bad guy. And so it ends up sending the signals to everything. And then you start to see if you look, you know, really, really closely at the chemical structure, for instance, one of the most common autoimmune diseases that you hear about is rheumatoid arthritis, right? And rheumatoid arthritis is, is inflammation in the joints. Oftentimes you see, you know, women who have their fingers all kind of cattywampus and, and swollen joints and things like that. So what's happening is that there is a bacteria that gets through the gut and through the barrier into your body and your body starts to react to that. And that bacteria is looks really, 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 really similar to the, the joint space fluid in your joints. And so if your body is in that state where it's like everything's happening all at one time and I got to fight all the bad guys and then, and then it sees this, this chemical that's in your joints and it's like, man, you look just like that guy was fighting over here. I'm going to go after you too. Right. And, and so it starts fighting your own body because it gets confused in this heightened state of stress and heightened state of, of inflammation, if you want to call it, its job is to protect you again. So it thinks that um, your, your joint fluid is a bad guy. And really you can take that to any autoimmune disease. So psoriasis, for instance, is a skin thing. So there's another chemical that is similar to the chemical that we see in your skin, that structure. Um, and so your body starts fighting itself, basically. That's what autoimmunity is. So again, traditional medicine is like, oh, well, your immune system is in this heightened state of of intensity and our job is therefore to suppress your immune system and tell it to stop doing that. Well, that works for, for the acuteness of getting rid of the symptoms. Lots of people have improvement in their symptoms when they go on these autoimmune type medications. However, 
that's just another chemical. There's a lot of negative side effects that go along with that. A lot of frustration because patients get relief for a period of time. And then their doctor says, well, you can only be on this medication for two years. And then we have to stop it because it's so dangerous. I mean, it can cause problems with liver and other issues. And now here we are stuck between a rock and a hard place of dealing with a symptom management and then, you know, having to make decisions about how long to poison our bodies, basically, for lack of better conversation. And so if you start going back again to where's the source and why, why is our body doing what we're doing? It, you know, all autoimmunity and all inflammation comes from the gut. It comes from, you know, what your body's trying to fight and, and what it's been exposed to over the years. And it might take 20, 30 years, you know, people say, well, I wasn't allergic to these foods before. Why is it happening to me now? And it's just this buildup over time. If you take um, you know, think about furniture, you know, you got a piece of wood that, um, that you've put multiple to multiple layers, you know, you've sanded it down and you're putting layers and paint and things a protective coating so that it doesn't get damaged if you put a glass on it, right. Or something like that. So if you sat there and just rubbed that piece of wood every day for 20 years, at some point in time, you're going to get the layers gone. You're going to get down to the raw wood that's now exposed to the environment. If you get water on it, it's going to get damaged, right? So your gut's got lots of layers and they get damaged over time. So the sooner that we can start to recognize where that's coming from and, and start to make some changes there, that's where we really see some great results. I want to learn more about your book because I would imagine you talk a lot about what we're talking about in your book. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned probiotics. What, what should somebody look for in a probiotic? You know, something that's that a, you're taking every day. Yeah. That's a great question. Cause it is a, another area where it's just overwhelming. I mean, if you just Google probiotics, you're going to get 8 billion, um, answers. So it's it, it, even for me, I mean, it can be overwhelming sometimes to, you know, hone in. I think I probably have eight or nine different types of antibiotics in my practice. So, you know, there's different, different ones for different things, but for somebody that's just kind of looking and saying, Hey, you know, I want to start doing something that's going to be helpful. Um, one of the things that we like to look for is that it's got a mixed, a mixed amount of flora. So, so you don't even have to know, what the names are, but some common names is like acidophilus, lactobacillus, bifidobactum, you know, we can get into all the fancy words and you don't even have to memorize that. But, but what you want to look for is if you look at the ingredients, you want to see that there are several different kinds in there because we want a mixture. There, there are some places where one type um, of, of probiotic is good for certain conditions, but for the most part, you want to have a mixture. So that's, that's a good place to start is, you know, just look at the back of the, and you should be able to see, you know, a list of the ingredients. And if it's a good quality product, they actually um, have, they, they can genetically test them. They're not genetically modified, but they, they can actually get a, um, a code, if you want to call it for different types of bacteria. And there's a lot of studies that say this particular one is good for this and that. Um, so good quality probiotics are going to show, um, like it'll say bifidobactrim, and then it'll have a number next to it. And so that tells you that they're actually paying attention and, and sourcing it from a good quality bacteria. So 
that's something that you can look for as well. And then the second part is how much, and it's actually measured in billions. Um, and so you have a 10 billion and a 30 billion and, a, and it goes on from there. So when I first started practicing and, and dealing with probiotics, 10 billion was kind of the norm. That would be like the daily amount that you would take, but we found that to be really inadequate. And I don't know, again, if that's because we're killing them all off with all of our antibacterial hand sanitizers and soap. So, you know, a little nugget there is you don't need all of that. If you just regular soap and warm water is going to kill almost everything. So um, try to use that and, and if you can. Anyway, um, so 10 billion is really not quite enough. And that's often what you're going to see. And just over the counter, if you go to the you know, pharmacy or something like that, you'll see a 10 billion. So to me, 30 or 50 billion is really the best from a daily perspective. Um, and then if you're, if you're dealing with something, some sort of gut issue, or you're going to go on antibiotics for some reason, we may go up into a hundred billion. And one of the products I have is actually 350 billion. It's in packets that you drink every other day. Um, and we might do that for a month or two when somebody's got really severe gut stuff going on, um, or, you know, some kind of infection that we're trying to manage. So, you know, again, it can be overwhelming There's a big spectrum, but you know, if you're going to go online or going to look, um, you know, go to the, go to a health food store or vitamin store, then look for something in the 30 to 50 billion range. And one that's got at least five, preferably 10 different types. It's a good place to start. Five to 10 different types of bacteria and cumulative of all those bacteria would be around 50 billion. Right. Okay. Just want to make sure I'm, I'm tracking because <laughs> I, I've got, I don't know, probably four or five different <laughs> probiotics. Yeah, bottles like, we, we accumulate over time. Yeah, well, and well, and if one, you know, maybe one is 10 or one is, you know, one is 10 or 20 or something like that, or it's only got a couple, you know, to use them up. They're not, they're not going to go bad. You don't have to waste them. Just mix them together. All right. Yeah, no, that, that's good advice. Cause I, like oh well this one's just this one and this you, you know i <laughs> yeah i i've never um actually had a conversation about probiotics with a doctor i just you know read some stuff and <laughs> like that's because like, most doctors don't talk about them yeah <laughs> unfortunately well what inspired you to write your book Um, I think it's been in my head for quite some time. Um, you know, I have these conversations with people. I, I, you know, one of the things that I do in my practice that I think is so valuable when, when I change the model of how I practice is spending time with patients. So I very rarely have an appointment that's less than an hour, um, unless you're coming in for like, some, you know, a quick visit or something like that. But most of my regular appointments with my patients are an hour long. So we have this kind of time to be able to spend um, discussing and talking about what, what their issues are, what's going on, you know, getting those objective tests, 
and helping people to understand. I think, you know, really the true definition of doctor coming from the Latin terminology is teacher. So our goal is not to, you know, dictate and just prescribe and say, you shall do this, but it's actually to help people to understand why, why is your body doing this? Just this conversation we're having. Now we understand more about why autoimmunity is there and why we're so focused on the gut, even if you don't really have any gut related symptoms, right? So, so I think that helping people to understand the why is really kind of what my whole goal is and, and why I'm even doing podcasts and things like that and, and why I do speaking events and, and getting on TV and being, um, you know, a guest expert on TV is because I want to share that message. And it may not be, you know, we're getting into some, you know, medical details, but I don't know, I always have time for that on, on some of my other um, events, but it's, it's letting people know that there's a different way to do things. So my point with all that is I spend, you know, hours with patients in my office and, and so many times they're like, after I finish explaining something like what we just did, they're like, man, you've got a, knowledge, a lot of knowledge. You should write a book. You should put that in a book, you know? And so I've been hearing that for several years, you know, put this in a book and, I will tell you that I was very good at math and chemistry and science, and I hated English. So if you, you know, if I had to write a paper, it was like, oh, nail scratching. I used to trade my sister. I'll do your math homework if you write my paper for me when I was in like high school. And um, so I just, writing is like awful. And I'm like, well, if somebody would just record me while I was talking, that would be super easy. Cause you know, I say these things and it's really easy for me to talk about it, but if you're like, start typing it anyway. Um, you know, I think I just got to the point where that I felt, you know, more compelled over the last couple of years to get this message out, um, to what I do and, and sort of to help people understand that, um, there's a different way to do medicine. So, you know, I say to my patients, just like I talked about that, you know, I finish a conversation, I say, okay, so here's what my recommendation is, especially if we're talking about hormones. Hormones is kind of, again, where I started. That's my niche, where a lot of my patients come from. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm giving them what, what their, what their hormone imbalances are and what my recommendation is. We're going to start this and, and whether they ask, or I, I basically say, you know, I was taught in medical school to whenever I was going to prescribe a medication to somebody that I would have to list all the side effects that they would expect. Right. Or patients often are, are, um, advised that, you know, always ask your doctor what side effects to expect or ask the pharmacist, if you're going to, you know, pick up your prescription and talk about it. And, and so I say, well, you know, what we're doing again is, is we know what your levels are now. We know where we want them to be. We're prescribing something that is bioidentical, which means it's the chemical structure um, of this hormone cream, which is typical of what I'm going to use is the exact same chemical structures, the hormones that are supposed to be in your body. And if we get them to normal levels, then normal doesn't have side effects. So we don't have to have that conversation about what are you going to expect? Um, and I say, you know, again, one of the great things about the way that I practice and, and how I've created my business is, is that we are readily available. So if something doesn't feel normal, then you call and you say, I'm feeling this and it's my job or my staff who's been trained by me to decide, is that something we need to do something about? Where is that coming from? And so the patient gets to relax and just be able to 
you know, live their life and not worry about what side effects am I getting? You know, if I sit there and tell you this long list of side effects that you may or may not have from this medication, you already have a negative energy about that, that substance, whatever it might be, even if it's good for you, right? So you're getting ready to take this and you go, oh, I wonder if I'm going to have nausea today or if it's going to cause me a headache or is this, you know, am I going to get breast cancer from, you know, this pill? And then already that, you know, there's a negative connotation to it. So you can get into woohoo, you know, energy medicine or whatever. But I think, you know, there, all that good energy needs to come, come into it as well so that your body's accepting um, what we're doing. So you know, that's really what started that is I'm like, you know, I think that's going to be the name of my book because I say it 50 times a day. It feels like, you know, normal doesn't have side effects and we're getting you back to normal and you're going to feel amazing. And when everything's normal, then it's all working right. We're not fighting. We're not, you know, your body's not trying to survive all the time. It's actually allowed to live. So we're, we're not in survival mode getting through day to day We're we're actually thriving and we're doing all the amazing things that we want to be doing. And that's really what, you know, what inspired me to actually put, put pen to paper, although I didn't write it, I recorded it. So smart thing. If you want to write a book is just, you know, pick up your darn phone. You got a voice recorder right there and just start telling your stories and talking about what you do, just like what we're doing right now. And then all of a sudden it's a book that's on, you know, on Amazon. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, before we go, I, I, I got to hear you tell this story and it's an amazing story. Uh, so before we go, I, I wanna to touch on a few other things, but I, I don't wanna to forget to ask you to tell the story of delivering your own daughter. <laughs> Best story ever, right? Yeah. Um, so I told you about how much I loved babies, right? And I, I, you know, delivered a thousand babies in, or I don't even know, we were talking about it the other day, I need to actually count it, but I know it was over a thousand babies when I finished delivering. And there was one delivery that I would say was, you know, was the crowning moment of my career, um, was no, delivering no my own baby. Intended. So no pun intended, right? <laughs> She's crowning. She never crowned. She just came out. That's the story, right? <laughs> so I didn't get to have that experience. It's time. Um, this is baby number four. And if, if you're in the baby delivering world, or if you're not, usually the first one maybe, you know, is a little bit harder to come out and the others sort of pave the way. So by number four, they're kind of, you know, there's not much barrier there, but First baby, you know, like I said, I grew up in Colorado. It was kind of granola, if you want to call it that. So I was like, I'm doing this with no medications. And, and you know, that was fine. I'm not saying it was a, a horrible experience, but second baby, same thing. I was in residency. So um, I had a doula at the time and I was delivering at the hospital while I was working. And, you know, so I had a doula there that was telling me to breathe and all that stuff. And I just remember it being the worst experience ever. And so by baby number three, I'm like, you know, I think, I think I'm going to try this pain medicine thing. You know, I've been delivering babies for a long time and these, you know, these, these ones seem to be going pretty well and, and we don't have to have all the pain and the screaming and whatnot, but she came really fast. So I, you know, my water broke, I got to the hospital, you know, give me that epidural. Literally I laid down after getting this, you know, shot in my back and they're like, okay, time to push. So the epidural really never took effect. So again, baby number three felt it all. So here comes baby number four, 
And um, I had to be induced. I was, you know, working hard. I had three other babies at home and my blood pressure was starting to go up a little bit and I was 38 weeks. So it was kind of like, you know, let's just not, not mess around anymore. So it's, you know, come in tomorrow and we'll start, start induction. So I got to the hospital about seven in the morning um, and start the whole process. You get Pitocin, we go into all these details. So, you know, pretty darn quick, I was like, all right, let's make sure that anesthesiologist is close by and, and let's get the epidural right away. So I have the epidural probably, I don't know, eight, eight or so in the morning and I'm just chilling. I'm like laying in the bed. I got my family there. We're all just hanging out. We're laughing. We're giggling. Everything's fine. And the nurse came in to check on me and she said, this baby is just moving all over the place. So when you're, when you're in labor, if you've never experienced that before, they have these little like Doppler monitors that they kind of strap around your belly so that they can watch the baby's heartbeat. And then they have two, they have one to watch the heartbeat and one to watch the intensity of contraction. So you can literally look at the screen and see this wave of, of your contractions. I couldn't feel anything, but I could see that I was having contractions and things were happening. So she came in, she said, the baby's moving all over the place and we really can't keep her on the monitor and we want to be able to watch it from, from out at the nurse's station. So how do you feel about us putting on um, an internal monitor, which is just a little, a little tiny probe that they put on the baby's head from the inside? And I said, no worries. You know, I've done that a hundred times or thousands of times. I don't even know um, in, in my career. So I knew that it was safe and it was easy. And she said, okay. And so she got another nurse to come in and help her out. And, and again, I can't feel anything. I can't move anything from, you know, basically belly button down. So I'm laying in the bed, she's over on my left side and she picks up my leg and moves it over to the left. And then the other nurse on the right-hand side picks up my leg and moves it over to the right and boom, there's the baby comes right out on the bed. And so they're all, you know, I don't even know what they did because I just immediately went into doctor mode. I reached down, I picked her up. I had a white hospital gown on. So I just start wiping her off. She's kind of got that, you know, gooey kind of blood tinge slime all over. Her. And she's not really getting that good breath, um, that, that good cry that you want to hear. So I'm like, I need the suction. I need to get this stuff out of her mouth. And so they're handing me the suction bowl. I'm sucking her, you know, I'm holding her right here on my chest and I'm sucking her mouth out. And she's still really not quite getting that breath. She wasn't, you know, blue and limp or anything like that. She just wasn't really, you know, getting that good cry. And so I said, we got to cut the cord and they handed me the clamps and I clamped her cord and they handed me the scissors and I cut her cord. And then I handed my baby over to the nurse and said, here, you know, take her over to the warmer. And within seconds, you heard that beautiful sound that you want to hear. That's, that's your baby screaming for the first time. So I know she was happy and healthy and they handed me this, you know, little pink burrito bundle back about five minutes later, but it was an interesting experience for sure to just do it yourself. Cause you know, that's what you do. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. How old is your youngest daughter now? She's 12. And, and how old is your oldest daughter? <clears throat> 21. So I have 12, 14, 18, 21. And I, I asked this question a lot and what it kind of translates to is the most important lessons that you want to pass on to your children. And I, I started off by asking, you know, there's, there's 
typically what I, what I find with the people that I interview, all of them have really gone through like these three phases where early life, they, they learn these important lessons uh, through their adolescence. They, they move on into their young adult years, go away to college, begin their career. They learn some lessons, some valuable lessons, um, maybe through failure or, um, you know, some tough experiences, life lessons, and then move on into the, the later part of their professional life where they're able to digest all those earlier lessons and kind of distill them into, all right, this is, this is what it's all about and start giving back. <laughs> and what I'm wondering is like, you've, you've had such an incredible career and touched so many lives. What, what are those, those lessons that maybe you haven't shared with, you know, your, your clients in your medical practice, but maybe some of those lessons that you want to pass on to your daughters and, yeah. and really what, what you want to see them, um, I don't know, manifest <laughs> through, through following your example. Yeah. I think, I think there's two messages that, that come to mind. Um, and it's not always been easy. You know, I have, I have these four amazing kids. The first one was born in third year of medical school and then residency. So, you know, I'm in the middle of like, you know, trying to build this career and then have a family at the same time. And so, you know, one message that I would definitely say is that, you know, you got to work hard. Um, you know, when I, I got to meet Ice-T and Coco at one of my speaking events and, and you know, Ice-T saying, you know, if you go out on this yacht and, you know, all the people are upstairs and they're drinking and where do you think the owner of that yacht is? He's down in the basement, you know, he's down in the underneath the boat doing business, right? Like, you know, you got to work hard and, um, but you want to find a balance where you're not, you're not working hard, but, but if you put your mind to something, a lot of my kids play sports and, and we've had the struggles of, of being on a team and, you know, you may not be one of the starters and they're like, I think I'm good enough to start. And, you know, I'm, I'm not their coach. I'm not going to make those decisions, but I say, well, you need to find out what you need to do to be that starter. If that's really what your goal is. Right. So ask questions, practice more, work hard. Um, and I think that's what I hope that I have shown them. And, and when I have, I have an internship program in my office. So I know we're asking about my daughters, but I do that because I want most, most of them are, are female, although that's not a requirement, but it just happens to be the way, you know, we, we're in a college town in Clemson, South Carolina. So um, college students who are interested in going into medicine, they come into my practice and they do shadowing or they, they do an internship. And part of the reason I do that is one, because I want them to know that functional medicine exists. So when they go out into their world, that they might be able to incorporate that into their practice. But two, I think for young females, um, there is the tough balance, you know, can I have a family and have this career, especially in something like medicine, you know, is it really doable? And, you know, 
and or people tell me all the time, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know. How do you not do it? You just wake up every morning and you do what you're supposed to do, you know, and you get it done. So I don't know, you know, did I plan to have four babies? I don't know. I didn't really plan it. It just here, here's where it is. And now, you know, I'm a successful doctor. I have a career and I have these great kids. And so you've got to just persevere and you've got to work hard and there's going to be obstacles in your way. Um, and the best ability that you can have to, um, to minimize those obstacles as much as you can. So, you know, my life has not been easy. It's been a struggle. I was married to um, their dad for 18 years and he was a uh, Irish Catholic alcoholic and it was hard. We had a lot, a lot, a lot of um, down, down moments. Um, and some of those stories are in my book because I think you got to tell those stories. You got to be real and let people know, you know, I'm not perfect. And I've gone through those struggles too. And if patients read these stories and they, they can relate to me and they can go, oh, like she went through these, these struggles and these issues and, you know, she appears to be doing okay now. So, you know, I want people to know, and that's kind of where I connected with your story. You know, you've had a lot of struggles and stress in your life. And, and here you are trying to get that message out that you can, you can persevere through that. And so it took me a long time to make a decision to leave that marriage because I thought, you know, you got four kids, you got to stay together for the kids. And, and what I really found towards the end of that marriage is that, and you hear this all the time. I mean, we tried, we went to counseling, he went to counseling, all kinds of stuff, but really I was not able to be the person I needed to be for my kids because I was in such a stressful environment at home. And, and my kids have struggled through that. My 14 year old, um, well, she's 18 now, but there's another story in my book that when she was 14, she was hospitalized for cutting um, and suicidal ideation. And, you know, that was right during the time where we were, we were talking about divorce. We weren't there yet, but that was a big struggle. And, and that was an eye-opening moment for me to say, I have got to get myself in a place where I can take care of them. So one of my best favorite quotes I use all the time is from Hal Elrod, who is the um, who's the author of The Miracle Morning. And I, uh, I got to meet him at Carnegie Hall backstage. We were both getting ready to go on stage. Um, and in one of his messages, he says, you owe it to those you love to be at the best potential that you can be so that you can help them be at the best potential that they can be. So, you know, it's one of those things you're, you're flying in an airplane, right? And they tell you, you got to put your own mask on first, but try before you try to help your young child or somebody who needs help. And if you don't take care of you, then you're not going to be in any kind of position to take care of anybody else. And that's really, for me, I would say over the last, um, even two years, but five years, that has been really a focus for me is taking taking care of me and my kid, you know, it's really hard for moms to do that because we feel very selfish if we're taking time to exercise or, or just take time away um, that, that we're taking away from our children and, and the focus that we need to have on them. But your time is not quality. If you're doing that, if you're stressed out and spread out all over the place, then you're not going to be there for them. And so, you know, you've got to, you've got to take care of you, whatever that means, um, you know, and there's all kinds of ways to do that. And we can have a whole another hour long conversation about that. But that's my favorite quote, you know, you owe it to those you love to be at the best potential that you can be so that you can help them be at your best potential. And, and that's what I, I, I do for myself. And I hope that that's what I'm sharing that message for them. We covered a lot of ground here. What would you say 
the big takeaway from this conversation is aside from what you just said you know because <laughs> that, that was pretty yeah, no. yeah that's pretty powerful <laughs> but we, we we covered a lot of health uh centric um topics here inflammation hormone replacement I guess maybe the biggest thing you would recommend is is the testing so that I maybe find a functional medicine doctor. That's what I was going to say is, uh, you know, my passion right now is to get the message out that there's another way, you know, and so starting to learn the words, functional medicine, integrative medicine, um, you know, there's other way, holistic, whatnot, but, you know, there, there can be a lot of different ways to name it, but you know, if you're in a place, whether, whether you're having symptoms or whether you're just thinking about, Hey, you know, is my body in the best place that it can be? Is it in the best potential? You know, so we're either fighting a symptom or a disease or a, you know, diagnosis, or I'm on eight different pills, or, you know, I think I'm pretty healthy, but I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing everything right. So that nothing surprises me, you know, do a Google search, start looking for, is there integrative or functional medicine in your area? you know, find me if you're close by, we can do virtual stuff. Um, you know, can't always write prescriptions over state lines, but we can at least have the conversation and, and get some knowledge out there. So again, going back to the more knowledge you have, and there's so much knowledge out there to Google, you know, inflammation, and it, you know, it can be overwhelming, or we're talking about probiotics, right? What do I take? So, so my message would be no, number one, that there's another way to do things and to, you know, start, start finding somebody in your area that can help you. We can't do it by ourselves. You know, everybody's got to have a mentor. Everybody's got to have a coach, you know, in your fireman days, I mean, you had a hierarchy, right? You come in, you got to have somebody above you that's been there before that trains you. Why do we expect people to be able to take care of themselves and their health with, uh, you know, just reading a book like that? You didn't learn how to fight fires reading a book, right? I mean, you can't, you can't be an expert in taking care of you and your health without having somebody who's done it before or somebody who has the knowledge that's going to help you out. So it's an investment in your life. It's an investment in your health. And it's not just a cost to take care of your, you know, sickness. So get out there and find the information, find somebody that can help support you, whether it's a functional medicine doctor, a health coach, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there. And if it's me, I'm more than happy to be that person for you. But if not, just get yourself healthy and, and get the knowledge that you need to, to make sure you know what you're doing. The best way to connect with you, would that be to, to go to your website? or social media what's social the media way? you know I, I, i'm posting daily you know even more more daily sometimes you know facebook it all connects together facebook instagram tiktok i've been doing tiktoks now those are kind of fun um yeah so social media is going to get you you know information and details and there's always links in those um to my website. So I have my personal website is amyduffymd.com. Um, lots of information about, about me, my speaking, my book link is on there. Um, and then there are links there to go to my office website. So if you're, if you're more interested in, you know, patient interaction and things like that, carolinaintegrativemedicine.com is our office. And there's links there to learn more about my practice and how you can get connected. We do free discovery calls. So you just schedule a free discovery call and you get on a, on a phone call with one of my staff and we kind of learn more about you what's going on what are your goals what do you need from us and then we develop a plan for you and the next step 
And, and we talked a lot about women's health, but you do help men as well, correct? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. men have hormones and inflammation and gut health and heart health and all kinds of stuff too. So yep, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy, for uh, allowing me to have this conversation with you and, and sharing so much valuable information. And I will have links to your, your websites in the show notes so that people can connect with you on social media, uh, find your book. Um, yeah, I would encourage everybody if you take nothing else, just normal doesn't have side effects. Normal doesn't have side effects. That's the name of her number one best-selling book. It's an international bestseller. <laughs> Check it out. It's, you got to get it. Awesome. Thanks, David. I enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.